Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we're here with designer, entrepreneur, artist, futurist, and generally like really interesting person, Vivian Rosenthal. Thank you, Rob. It's so nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. It's great to have you here. Now, you're the founder of this company, Snaps. Um, and I, I never know how to pronounce this. It's an enterprise SaaS. Sassy. Sassy. I like it. <laughs> an enterprise SaaS mobile messaging platform connecting brands to millennials. Right. So what the hell does that mean? English yeah. to English translation? Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> basically, I was at Google at the time. I was running their incubator here in New York City when I saw some data on the messaging space. And I, at first I thought I like, had misread it, um, but I hadn't. And it was uh, basically predicting that messaging was going to be bigger than social media, and mm. it was globally the way we were going to communicate in the future. And I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty radical, pretty exciting. Um, and so that was really what sort of that insight was what Snaps was based on, which like if, if sort of conversational UI is the future, whether it's it could be texting, it could be, mm. you know, speaking to Alexa or Google Home. But, you know, if people want to communicate uh, this way, there was no way for a brand to get their content into what was called like dark social and then to get data and analytics out. So we just thought, why don't we build that platform, mm. like a way to publish content into messaging and understand what the hell these millennials mm. and Gen Z kids were doing in that space. And that's what we did. And so we launched about two and a half years ago um, with the Broad City keyboard. Mm. And it just, you know, it was a small cable show. And it just like, it went berserk, right? And um, and it was essentially, it was like emojis and, and GIFs, right? Broad City emojis and GIFs. And um, and it really felt like you were adding a lot to your conversation if you could punctuate it with something that made you seem funny or sexy or playful or whatever. But it gave it context, right? And it was all around sort of visual communication. Um, and it was just, it was really well received. And so we thought, all right, there's something here. And so from there, since then, we've we've launched over, I don't know, probably 150 branded keyboards and mm. iMessage sticker apps um, and then since moved into chatbots. So it's kind of just been a fast and furious scramble to keep up with the messaging space for the last two and a half years. All right. Well, that's amazing. And uh, we we're going to unpack all of that because there's sure. a lot there. That was a lot there. Sorry, that no, was a mouthful. No, no, it's good because, <laughs> you know, you're doing a lot of interesting things. I, I think what is important for people to understand is that you didn't just show up yesterday and thought, oh, I can do something with messaging. So I just need no, to read a few. True. I just need to read a few of your accolades so people know exactly, um, you know, I mean, you're just really impressive. So I'm gonna I'm gonna throw these out now. Okay, you're the chief founder in residence for 30 weeks, and that's Google's Founders Program for Designers. You're one of Creativity Magazine's top 50 most creative people. You've been selected as one of 16 women making headlines for your for your industry. Wait, there's more. <laughs> you were selected as one of five women CEOs when you were CEO uh, for the L'Oreal Next Awards, and you're a certified Kundalini uh, Yoga instructor. That's probably the thing I'm most proud of, to be honest. But yes. <laughs> and I, I got to say, when I read all of those, one word comes to mind. Which is? Slacker. Like, Slacker, <laughs> totally. 
<laughs> All right. That, so that means I'm someone who uses Slack a lot, right? <laughs> so now you can change the definition of slacker. Exactly. Um, <laughs> All right. So, th- so I want people to understand that, like you, yeah. you are one of the most creative people in our business, and one of the most, um, you know, when I think of you, I think of somebody who is uh, living about five years ahead of us. Well, thank you. It's it's uh, I you know, so this is it goes back to a strange childhood. I thought my initials VR stood for virtual reality. My parents tried to tell me that wasn't the case until they finally relented and said, maybe you are from the future. You're kind of weird. <laughs> and so I was like, OK. Um, they used to tell me I was adopted. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I think I don't know. It was weird. I, I definitely grew up with this fascination of all things um, science fiction, like mm. loved, loved, loved. What's interesting now at age 41, it's like there I feel like we can drop the word fiction from science fiction and just call it science because everything that we've sort of collectively dreamed of, whether that's Hollywood or whether it's, you know, scientists and engineers, it's all rapidly, you know, happening and really becoming a reality. Um, so but, you know, this is this whole, I think, journey that we're on as as humans is one that's sometimes speeding up uh, to a point that's a little bit, I'd say, out of our control where mm. we haven't thought of all of the moral and ethical ramifications. Um, but nonetheless, we're, we're living it, right? And so, you know, I like to dig into what it is, what's the good and the bad mm-hmm. and the in-between that we don't that we don't actually know. I mean, I think what's, what's, you know, disruptive, frankly, is that you seem to be a born STEM girl. STEM meaning yes, I love science, STEM. <laughs> technology, engineering, and math. I mean, that seems innate. And I think, and I think, and I think we'll get into that. Well, that's, I think, the huge opportunity now, right, for women and for men. But it's like there's we're living in a society that's, that's, you know, it's changing every day. And so what we study in school becomes ever more important. Or you could say whether you study in school at all is potentially a, a totally fine answer. I mean, I, I ended up getting a master's in architecture. And I think the reason I gravitated toward art, towards architecture was it was this perfect blend of art and technology, right? Right, right. And I didn't really know at the time that it would happen to sync up with all these other trends. Um, but it did, you know, and I and I think that element of STEM is now, it's just, it's pervasive, right? And so I think if anyone listening to this podcast, you know, and they're trying to decide what job to take or what career move to make, or maybe they have, a you know, a daughter in middle school or high school, my God, the opportunity is to give them a coding class or to just have them go and do an internship somewhere. There's there's so many exciting opportunities. So I just and there's so much to learn online too. So it just and, feels but, like a great time to be alive. <laughs> no, without question. And did you? So you mentioned coding. When did you start coding? Yeah. So I took a different path really than coding as we know it. So Columbia, by the time I got there was completely paperless, which meant it's all digital. Um, and that was a pretty radical move uh, that Bernard Schumi made, who is a pretty famous uh, architect who was the dean. And he said, you know, future isn't drafting boards and, um, uh, you know, and slicing your finger open every other day. <laughs> it's actually um, all in 3D space. So rather than learn to code, I learned to create worlds in three dimensions, hmm. which was sort of the visual equivalent of coding, right? So, and that, and I'm jumping ahead, but I'll come back to it. But it's sort of part of this triumvirate that we identified at Google is like every startup should really have a, a designer, a, you know, slash creative person, uh, engineer, um, 
and a business person, right? Like, and if you think mm. of if you think of a stool, the reason it stands is there's three legs, right? You take one out, and it's pretty damn wobbly. Uh, and gravity, you know, uh, triumphs. And so, you know, I think at Columbia, I got exposed very, very early on to things like Maya and 3D Studio Max, and a lot of programs that ended up um, allowing me to, you know do what I did, which was I started a company when I was in grad school with a classmate, and Nike and RGA were our first client. It wouldn't have been possible had we not known um, this sort of 3D language, which mm. was our equivalent of coding, right? So it was it was coding through a 3D interface. It was one of those things where just our interests happened to align with what was happening. Mm-hmm. So um, RGA and Nike at the time were working on a very early iteration of sort of personalized 3D commerce. So what it meant to have a product in 3D, which we now take for granted with like 3D cars on websites and 3D shoes, you know, and be able to personalize it, Nike ID, and and then buy it. And so we were really looking at, you know, product from an architectonic point of view. And like, Mm. what what does it look like if you take a product apart, put it back together? And so it's it's kind of amazing that sort of 15 years later, actually yesterday, my company Snaps launched a chatbot, Nike ID chatbot. So it's uh, the ability to use a chatbot, um, the Google Vision API, and the ability to to sort of customize sneakers and all buy them through a chatbot. So essentially, right, well, the same on, thing I was doing hold on. That, <laughs> in grad school, but 15 years later. All right. Well, well, no, wild. no, I, I think it's amazing. So I want, I want to. I want to get to your journey in a minute. Sure. What I Sorry, think I jumped we, ahead. No, Apologies. no, it's because you live in the future. That's why you jump ahead. No, so I want to go, I want to go back to Snaps. You had your augmented reality business. Yeah. You had what you're talking about, uh, you know, with this, with this uh, Nike opportunity. But for Snaps, what I think is very interesting is that you heard or you felt or you saw messaging. Mm-hmm. Messaging is the way forward. Talk to us a little bit about how does that happen? Like, what happened? What in your life? Are you listening to something? Are you am I, drinking some sort of interesting spinach thing? I, I definitely <laughs> am drinking an interesting spinach <laughs> thing. Yes. Um, well, so this is a. I, I'm not sure if you meant it that way, but it's sort of a a metaphysical <laughs> question and answer. So I about four years ago got really sick, and I um, everything stopped basically for me. And I went on a journey, uh, both inward and outward journey. And I, I completely, like, just completely rethought my life. And one of, so a few things happened, um, which was I learned how to eat. Um, I learned how to sleep. I learned how to do kundalini. I learned how to meditate. Um, and I learned how to listen. And so, you know, I think that forced slowing down um, was actually a blessing in disguise. At the time, I was like horrified because I was a workaholic and I was like, I can't not be working. This is terrible. Um, but it was actually probably the best thing that happened to me. Mm. And and so I think since then, you know, I have a, a daily sadhana, which includes meditation and yoga and mantra and breath work and all these things. And I, I think I credit that practice um, to really being able to to listen, right? And mm. to not just listen to people, but to listen to more of like a vibrational energy, right? To think about what, um, you know, I think we could argue that the future is already written mm. and we're just, we just have to pay attention to the clues and we'll tune into what we're meant to be doing here on the planet, right? Like what is, 
what is Rob Schwartz meant to be doing? What is Vivian Rosenthal meant to be doing? And there's there's specific things, right? And so well, I think Rob Schwartz is meant to be uh, eating a slice of pizza. Going, <laughs> Holy crap! This is deep. <laughs> no, but I think what's interesting but, is that you. It was was it the calming of your my being, nervous system in and a way, the, yes. And then for whatever it was in your in in your life, you started to maybe sort of go, ooh, that technology. Because I'm calm now. Maybe I should do something with it. Was yes. it like that? And and maybe I should do something with it and maybe I should do something and maybe I should do it differently. And that's still something I'm exploring, right? I think one of the things that we are all responsible for and that we should be responsible for is thinking about how we use advertising and technology for the collective benefit, right? And but but yes. I think what's interesting, so that, that got you into this this business kind of amplifying expression. Mm-hmm. Through texting, through uh, you know what, what what feels like a um, it's an indispensable medium, right. and yet it, it's a quite disposable medium. A- absolutely. Well, I think you know we're in this like awkward stage, right? We're like actually we're just moving towards telepathy, but we're not quite there yet. And actually, I have friends that some of my teachers are there. Mm-hmm. Like they don't they don't even need to text. Um, no, I'm I'm not hold even on, kidding. I, hold on, we need to unpack. We are moving to telepathy. So one of the things I love about yeah, so you, so I'm just saying, so we're at like an in between <laughs> stage, right? Where we're like, okay, we kind of got this clunky thing called text messaging, and then we realize like that kind of is kind of like incongruous with how we lead our lives because we're walking around and driving cars and like, God, it's kind of dangerous, right? And so I think like that's why the the promise of like voice is so powerful, mm. right? Like. And I think we're going to see more of that. So I'm I'm just really excited about that because I I definitely imagine a world where I'm walking around talking and then eventually just thinking those thoughts um, rather than always typing. So messaging to me isn't about the specific messaging could be over voice, Mm -hmm. right? Like to me, it's not whether you type necessarily, but it's, it's about, you know, this uh, asynchronous communication, right? It's I like mean, near real time. And I think what's interesting, as you say it, is um, as a STEM person, a STEM girl, uh, you're very intuitive. Like there, there's this, you, you yeah. seem to, in your work and the way you look at things, a co- you seem to have a collision of intuition and then very scientific, scientific yeah, and engineering like to, stuff. Yeah, I think the two together... Uh, well, they help each other, right? It's like, um, but you know, I think what you realize, and there's so many people who've had this issue with technology, but with tech, sometimes it's it's can go against you to be intuitive, right? Because if you're someone who sort of sees around corners and sees things before they happen, it often means you're too early in the market. And mm. that's what happened when I launched uh, Gold Run, which was like augmented reality mobile app, which was essentially Pokemon Go, but six years too early, right? And it was like, Wow, well, that was a total. I don't want to say like disaster. It wasn't, but it was one. It was a. It was like the. It it just was too early. Like people weren't ready for augmented right. reality. But one thing I and so, that that becomes frustrating sometimes because well, you're like, oh gosh, well I totally wait. Like I should have waited, right? <laughs> maybe. I mean, I think maybe you should tell people because I thought what was fascinating. One of the things you did at Gold Run was uh, that airwalk. The yeah. airwalk. Right. And, and this is amazing. It was a invisible store. Yeah. I mean, maybe describe <laughs> sure. people. It was an invisible. I think you called it an invisible pop up. Invisible pop up store, which I I am still convinced. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make that company again or someone else will make a company, but like someone's got to, hopefully someone who's listening, but like it was, again, it was too early. Right. But, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't in the sense that like, 
people obviously resonated with it. But yeah, it was essentially, I was just thinking, right? So in architecture, you have air rights for buildings, right? So it's like, oh, I love the view above <laughs> your building, Rob. I, I, you know, if I had money, I would buy those air rights. And there's like billions of dollars exchanged around air rights. Um, but you can't really see that. Like there's mm-hmm. not much there, right? And so I thought, well, wow, how do you map that on to like to advertising and the world around us? And, you know, I just thought, okay, well, right now, like if you're – let's just say BMW and Audi, right? Like two competitive automotive companies and they have showrooms and they have fancy cars in their showrooms and they put up nice signage. But basically what I was thinking was like, well, God, in the future, like if BMW is going to have a virtual BMW in front of the Audi dealership, Audi's going to have a virtual Audi in front of the BMW dealership and there's nothing really to prevent them, right? Once you have augmented reality and advertising combined, it's like... A, you know, everything changes basically. And so, so, but again, just to so unpack this a little bit. So, there's a physical. Let's so, I'll get, a, I'll get back to explain that. I'll, I'll explain the problem. Sorry, I'll stick to the. <laughs> I'll stick to the script. Wait, the question you asked. Sorry. So, when it came to, so I, those were my thoughts though around like, well, you know, what if I could just plop down a virtual car? So then, so so airwalk and, and again, approach. J- j- just just to be clear, so where there is not this car, you're yeah. gonna. Through virtual space, go. Oh, we're going to put a car here. Yeah. So if I'm at uh, whatever, I'm on 53rd Street. There's no car there. There's a, actually an open parking space. I'm going to do an augmented reality car, exactly. just so I can check it out. Yeah. So I was thinking, like, okay, we have like augmented reality. Then we have like you call it different things, like geofencing, which is what we called it. But like the ability to designate an area through like lat longs, right? And say like, okay, we're going to circle. So what we did for Airwalk was we you know, digitally, virtually circled Washington Square Park. And we said, here's an area where skateboarders hang out. And skateboarders like airwalk sneakers, right? And so what if we made these giant airwalk sneakers that like floated in the sky above the park and you could only see them through augmented reality on your smartphone. Um, And if you took a photo of one, it would unlock the ability to buy it. And it worked. Like we built the technology and it worked and it, it definitely caught people's attention, right? But it was, again, it was like, way too early to like really go and build a whole platform around it. But I do think that augmented reality advertising is going to be a massive and very disruptive uh, part of advertising. It might not happen for another five years mm. or whatnot, but it's it's going to happen, right? Because it's like, say you're Coca-Cola and you have a huge sign in Times Square and then Pepsi plops down their content floating in front of your your LED screen, right? Obviously, you're not going to be too thrilled. So at some point, you're going to want to buy that virtual real estate, right? And that's that's sort of what I was banking on. And and by the way, I think just just how you laid that out now is probably the best articulation I've heard on how to use AR. Yeah. Because I think heretofore it's been like a dream, and it's out there, and yeah. we can, and a lot of kind of yeah. like we could, and what if? And this is like no, no. This is very competitive and very, very smart, practical, very yeah. practical. Yeah. So someone's driving by the BMW showroom, yeah. and we use AR, and suddenly a Nissan appears. Mm-hmm. And I think just doing that, and I, I think the car people would would actually they would so benefit from doing AR because this is their world. You could do the same thing at a motor show. I mean, imagine exactly. all these, you know, it's totally. It's, it's yeah. a really interesting uh, I'm sure, like, if we sit back technology. down in five years, like, a lot of ad agencies will be doing that in addition to what they do today, right? And that's just, 
the I think the sort of this... making decks. That's what we do. <laughs> oh right, right. <laughs> We're the deck. I, for, business. I forgot that it's advertising is the deck business. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, well, that was really cool. So, is there any part of you that, even though you have seen the future, uh, both today and tomorrow, in chatbots and messaging, is there yeah. any part of you that's kind of like, hey, maybe I should, you know, run a side hustle on AR again? You know, no, only because I, I mean. <sighs> You know, AR was a big, it's kind of what, what I did my graduate thesis on. Um, and I, I love AR and I love VR. Um, but I think, like, there's tons of players in the space doing really interesting things. So I don't I don't see myself mm. jumping ship. I really feel like messaging is uh, it's just as compelling to me. And I, I feel like we have a good... We sort of the right product at the right time. Um, what what is known as product market fit in tech parlance, and so it's I'm like excited to stay really focused and Good. and just keep running at it. Yeah. All right. So for so for snaps uh, before because I want to talk a little bit about your journey, but uh, just on on snaps, what's been your favorite project that you've worked on to date? Oh, there's been many, but I, I think the one that I'm actually most excited about is the one we just launched for Nike. And and not just because it's brand new, but because I think it's really like it's a paradigm shift. And I so just to maybe can I step back and talk a little bit about what chatbots are? I'd say that we were all introduced to chatbots through Scarlett Johansson and her. Um, mm. and, and that movie is look, I love that movie. Uh, I think it's hard not to love that movie, but that's a ways off. Right. So. That is a uh, a very a sophisticated AI algorithm that uh, he was speaking to. So that's the Hollywood rendition, right? Which means that like that will be coming in five to ten years, but is not here just yet. So now, if we like step back to like what's the what's the sort of you know advertising version of that now that actually you know helps you know move the needle and has ROI. Um, it's what I would call um, more of a choose-your-own-adventure-based chatbot, right? So where chatbots are going is certainly machine learning, NLP, natural language processing, and AI. Um, but right now, really where we are is chatbots are much better when they're multiple-choice questions and answers, right? So if you do you remember those books, Choose Your Own Adventure from mm-hmm. Childhood? Okay, so it's like you're reading and then you want to follow what Sally's doing, go to page 67. It's like, no, follow what Mike's doing on page 32, right? And you felt like you got to forge your own path and you did, right? And your friend who read the same book might have a totally different storyline. Um, and I think they're really brilliant. And so I think that's where we are with chatbots is like it's early days in the sense that First of all, you don't want to trick someone into thinking they're talking to a human when they're not, right? Like you're talking to a chatbot, mm. right? You're talking to. And do you think that was a misstep at first? Sure, like, I feel like that a was like brands Microsoft like, made that yeah. mistake and, and others. And it's a it's a normal mistake to make, right? Mm. It's not one we should point fingers at. Actually, I think it's like. And then the reality is, no, people want to know they're talking to a robot, right? Um, or whether it's a, a, a script or an algorithm or whatnot. But but basically, so we're so if we think of a chatbot as um, actually an opportunity for your creative team and specifically your copywriters to feel like there's a renaissance happening. Because I think copywriting was reduced to this very truncated experience of like a tweet or an Instagram post or a Facebook post, which is like very few words. Um, and now with a chatbot, they could write a 20-page script if they want mm. um, because I can have I can have multiple conversations with a chatbot, right? And as I go along answering questions, which 
A, allows the chatbot, like the algorithm, to learn about me and get smarter. Um, it also is going to show me things that are more relevant to me. So mm. at Snaps, uh, we call this intelligent messaging, but it's delivering the right content to the right person at the right place at the right time. Mm. And I think that's really where we are with chatbots. Like, to me, that's that's what they do really, really well, right? So they don't they don't try to answer any question that you might have about astrology or like, you know, that is not what they do well. Um but they, but they can provide, you know, personalized content. They can mm. send you a notification that's specific to where you are at the right time, um, and really provide utility, right? And so with, with Nike, um, you know, and I think this is something that all brands are seeing is like generally, brands are seeing a dip in numbers going to their dot com, mm-hmm. right? And 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 for the most part. People under 30 don't really open email, don't like email as a medium because it feels very spammy. So it's like, okay, if all of these people are in messaging, like how the hell do I get to them, right? And and obviously if a chatbot is sitting on top of an existing messaging platform, so whether that's Kick or Facebook Messenger or WeChat and um, other platforms that will open up, like the ability to reach you know, on Facebook Messenger over a billion monthly users who are already there mm-hmm. becomes kind of obvious, right? right? And it's like the cost of user acquisition on a chatbot is much less than a native app because mm. the people are there again. So Nike came to us and said, you know, we're we're really known for people being able to customize their shoes on Nike ID. Um, we're having the big uh, launch of Air Max. Um, what if you could walk into um, a museum? Um, like I was at the Met Breuer last week with my mom and went in and, you know, and there I see something. I snap a photo. Uh, I just see like a whole slew of colors that are just really captivating. I send that to the bot. I actually did this. It generates a custom pair of Air Max for me based on the colors that I saw in the installation. I choose my size and I hit buy. Wow. It took me less than a minute. And it was like, I was actually really, and I'm not saying this just because we built this chatbot. It was like, it was one of the most seamless like commerce experiences I'd had. And it was based on like my preferences. Like it was like, I had this experience with my mom, the Met Breuer. I saw this thing I love. You know what I mean? It was really cool. And like now they're coming in the mail and I didn't necessarily need to spend $130, right? But like from Nike's point of view, to go from like content to commerce, right? And to have that frictionless experience. And personalized. And personalized. And now they know like, you know, what colors I like, what size shoe I am. They can send me notifications. So to me, like, you know, it goes back to the bigger thing, which is like, I feel like advertising today for it to be really good, to me, it has to be accretive to my life in some way, right? It has to be valuable. And there's a lot of ways it could be, right? It might just be entertaining mm-hmm. right and that's the sort of most basic form is just make it funny that's the hardest or make, form though well it's the hardest <laughs> it's the hardest but i mean it's like but you can but it's sort of it's very universal right yes. it's just like um so just make something really damn good right, right. and it's like i want to watch it right <laughs> um or it has some type of utility mm-hmm. right um or it has some type of commerce where it's something i can actually yeah. like nike i can buy but i feel like if you know to me that's that's the opportunity is like Make something that people really want so that they can – they actually – I think people will welcome in brands if they are brands that have similar ways of looking at the world, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's sort of how I think about the sort of – that landscape is like if they're brands that I – whose values I, um, you know, sort of reflect, then – I'm happy to have them in my lives. If they're not, like, I don't, you know? So that, that's, that's, that's totally And that's with, a, with just a, one last thing. I think what, with a chatbot, 
One thing that's very different about chatbots and also all the work we do with like emoji keyboards and iMessage sticker packs is that messaging is all opt-in. And that's very different than most types of... So mm. if you think of a banner ad, you're trying to read the New York Times and the banner ad's just there. It's like, showed up, it's like, hey, Viv, like whether I want it or not, it's, right? Um, whereas a chatbot, I have to opt in to talk to Nike, right? And so... I've now given it permission to talk to me because I've basically said, I like this brand, right? right? Or um, same with, right, like with emojis that we've done, whether it's Dove or with Pepsi or whatnot. But if, you know, you're only getting them from either, you know, people have your phone number, right? So it's mm. like friends or coworkers or someone you've had enough contact with to, to say, you know, I'll look at this. And so that's why, you know, getting a Pepsi emoji, you know, if if you sent me one, I'm going to open that text because I know you, I like you, you're funny, you're smart. It's like, I want to, I want to see what he said, right? And so when there's a personal touch to it too, and it's, it's really like, it's why messaging, you know, text messages have a 98% open rate because you get text messages from your friends and you want to see what they have to say, right? Yeah. No, no, it's great. And you, you were at Brown. Yeah. And so what what was your major there? Uh, It was architecture. So I, I was like really into architecture since I was a kid, actually. So Hmm. I was, I was like, drawing weird I mean everything was a little weird like I was like drawing furniture that like came from the ceiling instead of from the floor I mean it was just weird like the stuff I drew as a kid was I don't know that they'd be the coziest spaces to live in but um yeah so I um so yeah architecture kind of got you yeah I was sort of more interested in the time and a lot of theory too like mm. sort of a combination of like architecture theory film theory queer theory anything theory like it was like you could just tack on the word theory and I was like I like stuff that sort of hurt my brain and I don't know but you know and then and then that ended up becoming more physical when I went to grad school you know so I went to Columbia and was like lucky because it was just at sort of the start of all things digital right and that's where um, I got exposed to so many things that I'd really only seen in films or read about, mm. but I had no firsthand experience with them. That was so, what, uh, you, you, you called it uh, the digital seduction. Yes. Oh, that sounds good. <laughs> Thanks. That, those are your words. <laughs> yeah, no, I do remember that. I think I wrote some poems with that name. Um, but yeah. Uh, well, we're going to talk about the poem. Oh, I, I love the poem. Oh, gosh. Is it, is it somewhere? Yes, could... it's on Vimeo. Oh. We can make a link. No, no, it's okay. Don't. I well, I don't know. I haven't read it in a long time. <laughs> well, I'll just explain a little bit. So I don't. You, I guess you were at the Remix conference. Yeah. And uh, you put was... to, you you wrote this poem, but it's actually a poem that materializes as film, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually really riveting to watch. I watched it uh, before we chatted today. You had two lines in there that I really loved. Uh, you know, a number of lines that I love, but two that we're going to talk about. One is, uh, we must be our dreams to stop our nightmares. That was pretty good. Thank you. That was good. And by the way, the poem is kind of a very modern, almost T.S. Eliot kind of yeah. journey. It was yeah. good. That and, that was all. This is funny. That was my Kundalini teacher, whose name is. I want to just give a a thank you to Paramatma, who's incredible. She teaches Kundalini, and she grew up studying with Yogi Bhajan, who brought Kundalini um, to the states. Well, actually, originally to Canada, and then to the states, and. That poem was really birthed out of out of her classes and and sort of going uh, trying to go with within like trying to turn off some of the noise and hmm. and um, and really find what's called shunya but like stillness right and I think we're generally as a culture we've become allergic to stillness right we're like the multitasking culture and I think that's that's a bit of our downfall 
And so her studying with her for the last, whatever it's been, three or four years has been uh, so helpful because I think we all have like these poems and things inside of, of us, but if we don't find the stillness, we won't even take the two hours for them to come out and be put on paper, right? So it's just, all of it at the end of the day is just about a practice, right? It's it's just finding finding the practice that allows you to be yourself, right? It's like stripping away all the clutter. Well, what's interesting is that the, the poem itself, and you can see it for yourselves if you're interested uh, online over there on, on uh, Vimeo, is that it may have been born from stillness, but I think what's riveting about what you did is that it's there's so much energy in it. I, don't, I really felt uh, that our digital life was kind of writ large, you know, as you say, the good, the bad, and the ugly in that film. Yeah. So I, it was a neat thing. I thought it was a neat thing. The other line that I loved in it, too, by the way, was, my thoughts are for sale. Oh, yes. <laughs> so was, well, that's the idea. Right. So, okay. So I, yes. Well, that, it's funny. I forgot. Okay. Thank you for reminding me. I hadn't read that poem in a long time. I forgot I wrote that. It's interesting because I just started reading uh, a reading, sorry, writing a book that I gave the title. I sort of started with the title, working backwards, but it's called uh, Conversations from the Grave. The idea was basically like in our lifetimes and much sooner than hopefully before we die, but like we're going to make a choice whether we want to live on forever. And I don't mean that in a like, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. some like we're packed in ice and we come back from the dead, but just like whether... Um, your grandkids could talk to you, right? So it's really not that out there. It's just a combination of like machine learning, NLP, AI, but scraping all things you, right? So Mm. every tweet, every Facebook post, every video you're in, every podcast you speak on, every Mm. voicemail you've left, you know, and it's just like, so there's this huge archive, like this big digital footprint that we're like leaving behind, right? And and we're constantly uploading ourselves to the cloud. Like, it's like a real-time digitizing of ourselves. Like, and suddenly it hit me, and I was like, my God, like, there's all this, like, digital detritus. And so does it just, like, die with us, or do we do we want to make it accessible? And I started to think about it on a very, you know, I just, I really missed my grandmother. And mm. she was really my muse, and and she was, she wrote poetry, and she painted, and she definitely was, I, I, I just thought she was brilliant, and I, I wish I could still talk to her, right? Mm. And so it was this feeling of, well, well, what if I could talk to her, right? And you can't go back in time and create this because she lived in a time where there weren't a thousand digital right. photos and videos, and there aren't recordings of her voice and all these things. So I can't go back in time. But moving forward, we are going to just sort of make that decision. And so, you know, the the thought of the book was, um, the sort of the the thought behind the book, I should say, was. What if, you know, how could we all benefit? How could humanity benefit if um, Elon Musk could talk to Albert Einstein, if Obama could talk to Martin Luther King, if um, J.J. Abrams could talk to Walt Disney? I, you know, or, and, you know, you could make up a million and one things. But I just was like, OK, those are conversations that I want to listen to. Right. Like, I think there's some there's some interesting things that you're talking about. One is the. The way we can use our digital footprint to help us live forever, metaphorically, you know, yeah. or, or to help us live forever in the context that but, and not our in a, ancestors can see us. Right, not in a sort us. of ego-driven way, right? Like, right. I don't, I actually really don't want to live forever. Like, mm. I, I used to when I was younger, and now I'm like, God, no. Like, I, that yeah, sounds terrible. I'm it. tired. I'm like, no, but literally, like, it seemed cool when I was in my 20s, and now I'm like, now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, nope, don't like that concept anymore. <laughs> But that's different than a digital version. Like, I'm fine for a digital version. So I'm talking about, like, a 
you know, a non-organic version that mm. does not have a soul, that is not me. It's just the digital likeness of me, right? And of course, it gets smarter and evolves with AI. And so mm. someone someone could totally argue that it will become like a total like doppelganger and like an avatar or whatever. But, and, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I'm saying it not so much that I can live to 150. I don't have any desire to do that. But like, but I, I think there's a need for us to uh, benefit from history and from the learnings and failings that we've had in a way that we're not doing, right? And I think we're just, we're, we're kind of on this fast track to destruction, right? Whether it's the planet or politics or, I mean, look around, it's like every, everything, obesity in America, right? And like the, 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 the packaged foods that we're eating. But is, I got to say, you know, the East Village has never been better. <laughs> that, that's probably true. <laughs> no, but sadly, just, I don't live in the East Village. But but, I, but but just to go back to something you said, which I think is fascinating, and I think maybe you can say how close we are. This is not using any technology that doesn't exist. Hmm. Um, that is whether someone decides to open up a research center and actually start to do that in a more substantial way is to be determined. Mm-hmm. But if someone tomorrow said. You know, Viv and Rob, here's $10 million. Do you guys want to, you know, create the museum of whatever we'd want to call it? I do. Then, yes. hell yes. The, the I do. Yes. I do, too. Like, I'll do that. Uh, I would do that. Let's do that. Um, All right. So the last thing we do is we we, we, uh, we ask you to give some advice. Oh, God. But okay. I, but I want to make one little tweak on the ask. Because usually we say, hey, what's some, what's some general advice for somebody who's, you know, dreaming about maybe starting a business because you're, you know, an amazing entrepreneur. But no, no. I think what would be interesting is give a CMO, uh-huh. a CMO who is under the gun today. Uh, when you look at the reports, they have yeah. 24 months to make an yeah. impact. Since you're living five years in the future, as you are, although centered through your meditation, <laughs> give some advice to a CMO. What should they do? Today's Friday. What right. should a CMO do Monday? Well, can we have like little wins and big wins? Okay. I don't know that there's like one tweetable thing. Um, I mean, I could come up with that one tweetable thing, but it's like it's almost more of a discussion, which is one, I would say, invest in messaging. Messaging is not going away. And that could be many things for you as a brand, right? It could be something simple like having your own set of emojis. It could be having an iMessage sticker pack. It could be investing in your future CRM, which is your chatbot strategy. Mm. So like, I guess my, my... um, yeah, I, I would say invest in, in the future of messaging because it's it's um, it is really going to be, you know, just just the way a brand or a CMO back in the day had to they had to have a website. Right. Like and then they had to have a native app. And now, like the next whatever, three to 10 years are going to be like, you have to have a chat bot. Right. And so and if you think about that as as your CRM strategy as the way to collect data and to have a more personalized experience with the consumer, I'd say that there's nothing that beats that. Great. Well, designer, entrepreneur, artist, futurist. It's a lot of words. Swell person. And, uh, Thank you. And you. And me. Thank you so much for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com.